Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Now, today is a very, very special episode because Arun actually graced us with his presence, so that we can get back together, catch up, but most important of all, talk about his latest book, "Restart Up: A Founder's Guide to Crisis Navigation." My dear friend, welcome back to your show. What inspired you and Max, speaking of, to to work on this new book? I mean, other than you just love to punish yourself during the pandemic. Dion, Brad, thanks for having me again, and it's, it's are you so kidding much fun me? This is your show, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a quite a journey um, with 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 my second book. It's been quite different to my first book. Um, just to give you a little bit of a perspective, because my first book, I. Practically landed.、Uh, I, I was. I was. I must say, I was a bit lucky there because I was writing、uh, quite frequently on daily fintech, and I just got approached by a publisher to write a book for them.、Uh, but the second book was, until I got the contract, it was quite hard, quite a lot of hard work. I approached about ten publishers with a particular thesis focused on fintech and climate change, and that really didn't take off. And then、uh, the reason I was given was it was too niche. Uh, but thankfully, what happened was in Feb last year. I was、uh, on、uh, I was on a panel, and when I finished the panel, I I practically was surrounded by about twenty twenty、um, uh, entrepreneurs, and they were all asking different questions focused on I mean how was how how was the landscape going to react to COVID when it arrives,、um, and uh, uh, although there were like、uh, several questions which were quite deep. A lot of them were very similar and、um, kind of very simple questions that that entrepreneurs really needed to know the answers、uh, to when if they're leading a business. So that led me to、uh, think maybe I should do a blog series on this topic. So by the time we were into March, I thought that that thought really crystallized and said, okay, I'm going to do a blog series on how entrepreneurs can deal with COVID at that time, which wasn't、uh, yet a crisis、um, until about March, the second or third week of March. Uh, uh, and as part of my post promotion work or post、uh, promotion work rather for my first book, I was introduced to Wiley. And the moment I got introduced to Wiley, I got a bit greedy, and、uh, I said, "Why not make this、uh, a book instead of a blog series?" So that's really how、uh, Restartup happened.、Uh, I still have the envelope somewhere, a large envelope at the back of which I started writing the proposal,、um, and then I typed it up on a. Um, on a Word document and sent it over to、uh, the acquisition editor. And、uh, from the point of actually sending it to her, we, or rather, we spoke to her on a Thursday or something. I think Thursday or Friday, and it was signed. The contract was signed literally in a week's time from there. So、uh, that's how we started.、Um, we start up started.、Uh, yeah. So it's been it's it was quite a journey to get there、um, in in some sense for me because.、Um, It was slow at very、uh, at points where I really wanted it to be fast, and then suddenly when it happened, it all happened without、uh, even I mean Max and I realizing that it's happened. I, I remember when you started writing it. There were periods of time you literally disappeared. <laughs> We couldn't find you. You were just writing and interviewing, and writing and interviewing. What was really interesting though was. How you ended the book? It was different. I did not expect you to to say that. You wrote at the end of it when you closed off the book. You realized it's mostly about people and hope. 
because in the very beginning, when you started reading on it, it was a lot of case studies, a lot of interviews with different people and what you think is needed to survive the crisis, for lack of a better word. So for those who have not yet ordered the book, pause the recording now, go order and then come back and keep listening. Erin, what do you mean by when you say the book is about people and hope? And why is that important? I mean, that's perhaps why I'm doing what I'm doing with my profession, right? Because I love the job of being an investor and particularly focused on the startup and, uh, and, and in some sense, you know, even socially conscious startup. It's all about people, um, be it entrepreneurs that we deal with uh, or their customers or beneficiaries of their businesses. Uh, to me, um, whatever do we do in the innovation ecosystem, will have to be very hopeful in my opinion and you're really looking into the future by by doing startups you're basically not just looking into the future but creating the future and you have to be a hopeful person to, to be able to do that successfully so me uh, so th those were the two things i mean yeah you have lots of business strategies in the book you have macroeconomics in the book you have mental health topics in the book but for me end of the day it's about get the right people with the right attitude and that really is the is 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 the crux of the solution well like you said there, there's a lot of metrics in the book and there are a lot of people sort of talking about what they look for in startups that they invest in um, when when you think about you know, the, the type of people that were interviewed in the book between folks in venture and folks that are running companies, you know, what, what were some of your most memorable interviews that you and Max were able to get a hold of? I think you said you did around 49 or 50 interviews. Uh, which were some of the most memorable? Oh, so many of them, actually, if you think about it. Uh, when I first drafted the proposal for the book, uh, there was a big miss in the proposal, which was mental health. Um, and when we went through the interviews, the initial maybe 10 interviews, we realized that was a big miss in the book. And we actually added the chapter dedicated to mental health after that. And I had to really find mental health experts. For me, to find a VC was much easier than finding a mental health or a, um, a, a kind of a uh, yeah, mental health expert. Um, we've had several amazing discussions with people who are on the performance coaching side. Uh, they've given us some really good tips. In fact, um, uh, uh, with with one of them, and I can't say who. Uh, I almost converted the interview to uh, to to kind of uh, discussing my my personal challenges in making my day productive, and asked her for tips, which which in some sense are in the book as well. So it was it was a, almost a free session with some of them for me, uh, and several amazing tips. So I would say that perhaps personally was the most useful. In terms of um, content to the book itself, I think um, one of the interviews that blew my mind was uh, with Sopnandu, uh, Sopnandu Mohanty, uh, the chief fintech officer of, of the Monetary Authority of Singapore. That was was an was an amazing interview because he really brought design thinking to innovation, um, and it was very evident in the interview. The content that the type of content we got out of the interview was just just amazing. Uh, the second probably. The most impactful for me was with Brad Feld. And Brad Feld is one of the who's who of the venture community across the world. If you if you look at the last 40 years, he's he's done some amazing work. And he he's he's actually very openly spoken about his depressive epi episodes in the past. He's written about them. And most of us who follow him via his book, like Venture Deals and all that, we really don't know about that. 
and he was very open in talking about his depressive episodes and how he's he's handled them and uh, that was one and again jerry colonna um who's again uh, uh, i think he sat on about 150 boards or something in his in his career and for him to again come come to us and openly talk about his depressive episodes and how he's dealt with them those were all like kind of amazing conversations we had uh, i think those would stay with me for a long time I mean, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that you you actually do what we tried to do in our book, which was talk to some people that aren't necessarily always quoted in some of these things. And so I'm sure you know it would have been nice to have Andreessen or like some of these like you know people that tend to be a little bit harder to get a hold of. But in some ways, the lessons that you learn by speaking with those that you did, and someone like Brad Feld, um, I think those are even greater lessons because these are people that are maybe investing and. founding companies that are you know not not necessarily those that are going to be the next google or something like that mm. uh, and you know let's let, you talk a lot about impact uh what were some of those though that you would have liked to have interviewed the couple people that you kind of really pursued but didn't quite get a hold of in the end who who yeah, was so, the name interview uh we had a uh... when we when max and i sat down in april to put together the wish list for the for the guests or our interviewees uh, we had a few moonshot people one was brad feld and we were quite lucky to have him or uh, get his time we wanted to interview fred wilson union square ventures um we nearly got to his inbox but he 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 said no um and we also wanted to inv- um, talk to one of the a16z um stalwarts um again we got to their inbox but they came back saying no uh the other person i really wanted to talk to was raghuram rajan um he actually uh, uh is the former uh, governor of the reserve bank of india and um, i spoke to someone who's actually interviewed him in the past um and unfortunately i couldn't get uh, get to him um uh, he 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 didn't reply to our emails um but uh, it would have been amazing he would have he was one of my i mean not just for the book but in general because i practically worship his uh, book the third pillar which actually talks about um, how to affect change um like for instance climate change or uh, gender inclusion how do you go about it and uh, i keep talking about the content from that book in in several of my interviews and and discussions even within the team um and it kind of has 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 affected me in, in in so many ways so i really wanted to interview him for that for the book uh, but just just couldn't get to him yeah i think we have um equally a long list of people we wish we would have been able to include in our book as well we um didn't have enough words that we could use and it was just writing during covid it's <laughs> it's a whole different set of challenge by itself looking at where we are with uh fintech this year fintech india fintech funding in southeast asia and south america and europe and us it's been record breaking for lack of better words how do you feel about where we'll be in the future with business models compared to last year perhaps when you first started writing the book what do you think is going to happen well on the fintech landscape um based on my conversations with uh, institutional investors on a regular basis 
um, I think we are going to see a lot and lot more funding coming in. Um, of course, the opportunities are are starting to look uh, with a very very little incremental innovation coming through in the West. I think most of the opportunities are in countries like Indonesia, particularly Nigeria, Kenya, um, and and really sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, Latin America is interesting. Um, there's quite a lot of focus on Central America, although there's not a huge uh, population there in terms of the, um, the size of the market. Um, so those are the areas that that you're going to see a lot more traction. And there's also a lot more opportunities to digitize that part of the world to to bring inclusion to that part of the world. Uh, we do see uh, uh, EWA um, uh, early wages access is is, 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 a, is another cool term in fintech that's taking off across the world. Uh, when I was in India in Feb, I spoke to a CEO who actually was doing that in India. And uh, since then, I've heard, I, I've spoken to at least six or seven investors who've basically said that's a really cool um, model. And uh, and funnily enough, when um, some of these lending fintechs really started about seven, eight years or 10 years ago, uh, they struggled for funding, uh, not just from the VC community, but also from the venture debt community. Even venture debt community is still a very, very nascent uh, space um, for, for most of the other use cases. But when it comes to some of the fintech use cases, the venture debt community really have woken up and they, they seem to be backing um, uh, fintech deals, not just because of the growth and the sexiness, but also the lending angle because they they can help them grow the the, the lending book uh, uh, and it, it the, the fintechs really act as pass through vehicles for them to then to and uh, in, in in emerging markets of course the, the the returns are high as well so those are some of the trends i'm seeing um of course funding is going to be crazy uh, because we've had a slow year last year so people are going to be over allocating this year and probably next as well I think the the past six months has been anything but slow, especially in fintech. Uh, we of course are talking to Aruna Kumar, Krishna Kumar, uh, also known as Arun, also known as the third of the uh, trio that makes up One Vision. It's it's very good to be catching up with you, my friend. Um, so let's let's talk about you know going from that to sort of the state of entre entrepreneurship today. It reminds me sometimes I was just having a thought about you know, the, the political um, sort of reality in America where once you become, you know, a member of Congress or, you know, the Senate or what have you, regardless of what level, you're always sort of raising money. And it's like this cycle. It's a perpetual cycle that you can't get off. And, and entrepreneurship and being a founder is almost like that until you go public or until you make your investors whole and that kind of stuff. So if there was one thing, and I'm not setting you up for that, but if there was one thing that you wish you could change about entrepreneurship, about founding a company today, what would that be? I would definitely change the way entrepreneurs look at capital, um, uh, particularly tech entrepreneurs, in the sense that uh, they look at VC as the be-all and end-all for uh, growth capital. Um, unfortunately, uh, what has also happened from the supply side is that VCs have been really good at marketing themselves to these and accessible. They've been very accessible to these uh, entrepreneurs who are, who are willing to go the distance to find source of capital. Uh, but that that has kind of, in some sense, affected the landscape in the sense that you, you have a, a horse race kind of a situation where you have to be running at it like at a particular pace. And if you lose pace or if you, if you show any sign, signs of weakness, 
you stop getting funding. And that is not really how business must be done. Businesses can be built out of no capital or very little capital. And businesses can be built out of capital that is more sustainable, more long-term, um, and less KPI, quarterly KPI focused than VC uh, money. I think that bit I would love to change. If I can say that I've done something to change that in next 20 years, I would I would find uh, I would I would say have a sense of meaning to my career. Frankly, um, entrepreneurs should look at options like grants. Often, grants are seen as distractions to business. Um, I've spoken to several entrepreneurs who agree or disagree with that. Um, uh, in the sense that uh, if you if you are a focused entrepreneur, if you know what you're doing, you know where the grants money can be uh, accessed from. Um, it takes very similar timelines to raising venture capital. It is not as cutthroat. People are a lot more empathetic, um, and there is there are organizations that handhold themselves, uh, handhold the handhold entrepreneurs through their journey. Uh, but the challenges they they're not as good as the VCs in marketing themselves to the entrepreneurs. They don't make themselves accessible as as the VCs have done over the course of the last 15, 20 years. Um, so those are the challenges, uh, and we need to we need to solve this problem uh, in helping these entrepreneurs. Um, access this capital. Uh, I may come across as doing some sales pitch for what I do at Delphos International, so forgive me for that. But I really see this as a pain point, um, and 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 a mindset change that needs to happen within um, within the venture community. Are you saying that this book isn't sponsored by your company or like we, no, we know, we know we, yeah i know we, we we know that you've been working in this for a long time and it's and it's true to your heart uh when when you think about you know the the money sloshing around though and and you know founders almost feel like there's only one path to growing their company and we work with a couple of founders one of which i i work you know several times a week with and they're contemplating you know their next round and it's like that's all they could think about it's like it takes their eye off the ball and it unfortunately like becomes a little time, you know, consuming and self like absorbed to simply get the money because you think that's the only way you could grow. One of the things that you keep on, you know, kind of coming into and honing in on is the lack of, of sort of foresight into the future and thinking about long term what's the way that capital is used. If you were to give, you know, one piece of advice to the venture community. What what would that be? Um, I would say when you say venture community, are you talking about founders or the investors or more, more the investors? Because I think you have a lot of advice from other you know founders in this book, and you you have a lot of lessons about you know metrics and company formation and these type of things within the book for for from venture. But in terms of changing venture, in terms of making it more inclusive, in terms of you know just the way that capital is, you know. SoftBank could certainly write a check for $500 million for any startup any day, but not every fund can do that. Um, I think from a fund pers fund um, or, or capital provider's perspective, to keep it uh, generic, I think they need to be more empathetic. For me, that's the biggest takeaway from this book, from, for me personally, because uh, I've seen firms that have had boards that are empathetic and, and a lot more collaborative, and the way the entrepreneurs have emerged out of trouble it's it's a different um experience 
to having very cutthroat entrepreneur uh, investors on your board that you need to go and you, you almost fear going to them with bad metrics um and 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 that that uh, culture needs to change um they need to be more inclusive in the sense so uh, a little bit of uh, taking a step back on that is uh, one question i've been asking myself how do we get more women through the door and theo don't get started now um uh, so one of the one of the uh, challenges i find is that um, investors are not inclusive and we've spoken about this time and time again um but uh, we're doing a little bit of research at delphos for this which is which is focused on how women gps can actually drive more inclusion but to get even women gps how do you get more women gps that itself is a challenge so when i talk about investors i'm talking about lps not just the gps who who allocate funds to startups so across the ecosystem we need to see a sense of inclusion sense of responsibility to make it a mo- lot more diverse um audience that they are deploying capital into and that kind of brings a lot more uh, diverse approaches diverse opinions and uh, diverse boards which 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 will actually lean towards more empathetic rather than testosterone driven business building nodding my hat my friends um keep it going keep keep the change because it it takes a village multiple villages and multiple universes <laughs> to actually get any change coming um but the good thing about talking to you Arun is that you are always the optimistic person i'm always the pessimist that that's the one thing i notice with with whenever the three of us get together in the show you two are like sunshine and i'm like raining and storming over here um so it's good to have you here balance that out a little bit um and you have been really optimistic i've noticed that on social you've you've commented recently um change is coming okay tell us what change is coming um how is the startup ecosystem changing and how is it getting better because from from where i see and and this is probably me digging a hole right dig myself deeper and deeper all i see is how covid has set us back a whole generation in terms of progress in terms of women employment um in terms of you know looking at funding for example even as much as quote unquote awareness um and drum beats we keep hearing if you look at the numbers right we always go back to the numbers is minuscule it hasn't even moved and so why how can we really be optimistic about the future what are you optimistic about any I, i need that for my personal sanity sure um i think one of the challenges you are having there is because you are in the us um and you're surrounded by the news that comes out of that land i guess you're probably in your little uh uh all right i'm moving <laughs> chamber uh, but see um what i see and then probably before i go into the data that i can use to substantiate why i feel change is coming is uh, again ref- i have to go back to the book by raghuram rajan third pillar he he talks about three key pillars for any change the community um the state and the market um it cannot be one of them always trying to change the whole whole thing with inclusion it's the same if you if you are if you are asking the vcs to be more inclusive you cannot change that by just changing vcs mindset you can't bring improvement in inclusion by just changing vc mindset because because 
I've told this to you before as well. In 2019, when I was actively deploying capital out of my second fund, we looked at about 400 firms very closely. We, we spoke to the uh, uh, entrepreneurs. And out of the 400, probably 10% were women-led or even had women on the, on, on the, um, the C-suite. Um, we, we wanted to have more women come through the door, but they just were, that just wasn't happening. And when that did, I have to say the quality wasn't as high, unfortunately, because one, because there weren't enough women entrepreneurs emerging out of their kind of saying, OK, I've had enough with my corporate life or I'm finishing uni and I'm going to do something really groundbreaking that there aren't enough women doing that. So in order to change that, we have to have the community fixed, which is um, partners, husbands. And, 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 and there's so much data out there to see why women's careers dip as soon as they have they get to child kind of uh, or, or uh, go through the childbirth process where they where their careers uh, take a dip why can't they get back into an entrepreneurial career after that so those are the community-based questions we need to find answers to have consistent flow of um entrepreneurship or entrepreneurs coming through the door into the vc office and then we also need to fix through the markets and state the gp side of things so i think those are the things that that I think we need to do. So one of the things we find um, by, by virtue of the work I do at Delphos is that um, we see quite a lot of women GPs now emerging across the world. We even talk to exclusively women-led funds, but unfortunately they're all in their first, um, first funds. And most of the institutional capital that's looking for GPs or fund managers, they don't deploy into first-time funds. So there is a huge product gap there. So we need to fill that gap by creating some innovative products so that the risk uh, that some of these institutional capital uh, is, is, is or the risk return profile that these, this institutional capital is looking for is mitigated or, or addressed. At the same time, the capital flows into um, flows into the women GPs. And I think that's a more of a matter of time. The, the, it's more about when than if, because there's a lot of lot of noise to address that community across the board. So that that part is changing for sure. Now we really need to fix the community angle, and that is the slowest, slowest piece. In I mean, every time uh, you can fix the state by the by passing some regulations, and you can fix the market. If the state fixes the market, that's even easier. But how do you fix the community? How do you fix all these um, uh, un, unrecognized biases or or or, un, uh, or generally biases that all of us have? We we are born and brought up with that. So that's the that's the hardest bit. But I, I'm hoping that by just looking at the change in the market and the state, the community will also start to warm up to the to the future. And that's why, I mean, I see so much data. I see so much women-led organizations coming to me every day, women-focused use cases coming to me every day. There's, there's no reason to feel, feel pessimistic. And they're all thankfully in the emerging markets, so I'm, I'm loving it. the difference you're in emerging markets um i think that is very different I, I think one of the biggest struggle i've always had in the u.s and it was it was an eye-opener for me because i was born and raised in hong kong was the lack of caregiving infrastructure in the united states it's it's, it's horrid you can't get help if and when you are lucky enough to be able to get help you need to be able to afford it there's no paid leave in the united states and we wonder why we don't have as many women working, well, especially for the last year and a half, they're all at home taking care of children. 
there are stories after stories of portraits of women who have to take a step back from their career because the cost of securing childcare, especially now, is so much higher than what they would have been able to make from work. And so these women just give up their career. And now think about the long-term impact of it, because it's not just about them stepping back for a few years in the career, is do we even have returnship programs to bring these women back into the workforce? By and large, there isn't. And how does all of that factor into the social security, which they will not be able to contribute to when they're not working, and also the impact of their long-term retirement, because they're not earning any money for these few years that they're not working. So change is slow, my friend. I'm just going to jump in there. I was listening to a podcast, Marketplace, uh, with uh, Sally Krawcheck uh, being one of the people that uh, Kai Rizdal was interviewing, and they were talking about Elevest and what they were doing with you know women investing. And I guess they have like $1.2 billion invested now um, that women are uh, kind of drawing to. But the, the thing that she said was interesting. She said, and she was quoting um, another author, but she said, in the U.S., you know, compared to other countries, there is no social safety net. In the U.S., we have women. And it was like, FUD. But it's true. You know, we don't have the infrastructure that so many other countries do. And it's just not set up the same. And so when we talk about opportunity to make, you know, venture more equal or opportunity to make, you know, being a founder more equal, it's a privilege. You know, it, it truly is a privilege, privilege class to be able to have access to capital and to have access to the time that it takes to, to fund these companies. And this is why, you know, we always say you can't be what you can't see. This is why, you know, venture has a white male problem. And so it's good to hear stories of maybe other places in the world and more, you know, beneficial startups being created to serve more people and to serve more basic needs than the kind of silliness that we see in Silicon Valley. So I'm all for it. Um, Arun, since we haven't talked for a while and since we're talking about your book, could you tell us where people could find the book? Sure, it's, it's on Amazon. Uh, if you search for Restartup, uh, it's on Amazon in the UK and in the US and in India. Uh, I've not checked for other countries, but definitely these three countries. So available at Amazon. And are you working? Amazon. Yes. Yeah. The book is Restart Founder's Guide to Crisis Navigation. You wanted to add something, Miss Theo? Well, I was just going to say, since now climate change should not be deemed a niche anymore. Are you going to work on that as your third book? Oh, third book. Um, I mean, again, this is, I, I don't think I'll be writing a book in the next few years because um, I want to spend some time with my family and uh, writing a book means I have to give up on weekends and my girls are at an age where I, if I miss this phase, I'm not going to get it back again. So my weekends are for my family, it's for my, I mean, are for my family now. So probably in five years time when they don't need me anymore uh, and I'm collecting data for that. So I have a plan. Um, I want to kind of go through certain case studies that uh, socially impactful case studies that uh, I, I get an opportunity to work with. And, and entrepreneurs that who are socially conscious. Um, I want to pick up about 10 to 12 different themes, uh, perhaps SDG aligned, I don't know, um, but something around that and kind of study them through their faces. And, and, and over the course of five years, I want to understand how we can take a particular, say, 
uh, agricultural use case, fintechs, including use case, uh, can, uh, and um, and take it to a. Did we lose? You you no you hicked up a little bit. You might need to repeat the last ten seconds. You, yeah, sure. You, so, um, the use case. Uh, I want to really focus on uh, socially impactful use cases that I'm currently working on, and and track them over the course of next next five years. Look at the journey of these entrepreneurs and the business cases that they're working on, um, the challenges they faced, uh, what could have been better in the environment uh, in the ecosystem, and kind of address talk about all that and see if there are solutions we can find and really if, if if it works in india it should work in indonesia if it works in indonesia it should work in guatemala there's no reason why why we can't replicate these models and fill some of these gaps even before they start appearing in some parts of the world so that i really want to be the ideology for thought 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 process for, for my next book but again uh, you propose and someone else disposes it. So um, I have to I have to think about it and see if there is enough market for it as well. Uh, but but I really want to do that kind of a book, but probably in four or five years time. Well, we look forward to it. Um, and uh, for any of you who are listening and didn't catch it, do go to Amazon or your local bookstore and pick up Arun's copy of Restartup, A Founder's Guide to Crisis Navigation is full of um, interviews that Arun and Max have done with various founders and VCs around the world. I love the uh, chapter sketches, so hopefully we'll be able to help surface some of those later. It's a book full of nuggets and tears and sweat and wisdom. So thank you so much, my friend, for coming back to your show and joining us is always a treat. And for all of you, thank you for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.